The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, part two of Armchair Politics, our weekly uh, roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes roundtable regulars uh, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome Thank back you, to you as well. And uh, joining us for today's edition from uh, East Village Magazine, consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome back. Hey, thanks. I think I'm finally starting to wake up. You guys are waking me up. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you call the wake, the woke culture. Well, and, <laughs> oh. and, and there you go, Henry. And, yeah. and and hopefully that we're having the same effect on people listening. In. Uh, Do you think they're waking up? <laughs> although we're about to get into some real inside baseball here, and you kind of have to follow this close because it, it gets a little involved. A conservative group filed a complaint with the Secretary of State's office Wednesday alleging Governor Gretchen Whitmer's campaign violated state law when it accepted donations that exceed limits set out in the Michigan Campaign Finance Act. Whitmer's campaign cited a recall threat in tapping wealthy donors for donations to her campaign as high as $250,000. Under the Campaign Finance Act, the maximum donation a candidate for governor can accept from an individual is $7,150. The higher donations increased her campaign's total revenues by a few million dollars. The Whitmer campaign cited a 1984 
administrative ruling issued by former Michigan Secretary of State Richard Austin, who set out some of his reasoning in a 1983 letter to a uh, state Senate majority leader. Austin said that when a candidate is facing a recall, the donation limits do not apply because recall committees can accept unlimited donations from individuals. Republican campaign uh, finance attorney Eric Doster questioned Tuesday whether Whitmer is truly facing a recall threat as recall (laughs) petitions against her approved by the Board of State canvassers have not shown they have raised money or been actively collecting signatures in recent months. But in a complaint filed Wednesday, the Michigan Freedom Fund put forward an additional argument. The group said Austin, a Democrat, exceeded his authority when he issued his declaratory rulings. How elastic are these interpretations? Well, this is an interesting kind of loophole. In fact, I saw some commentary over the weekend that theoretically somebody could simply say, you know, have a guy on a street corner saying, I'm going to recall so-and-so. And then that, that would then open the door to that individual raising money outside of the normal limits. Uh, I, I have a hunch that that's going to be taken care of somewhere along the way soon, but it's, I'd never heard about that loophole before, but it, it does raise some interesting questions. Uh, so just talk of a recall, is that enough to pl- plug her into the safe territory then? At least somebody asserted that, you know, some guy could could go out in the street corner and say, I want to recall the governor, and, and that, that could qualify technically, I guess, uh, under, under existing decisions. I don't know. Well, huh. with respect to uh, Austin's position, there are four ways in which um, <clears throat> laws are deemed uh, credible, in Michigan at least. One is the attorney general, the legislature, uh, the Supreme Court, and case law. And uh, none of these we have heard from uh, on the statement by Austin. So I just wonder if if others have made that kind of ruling. That seemed to be much more work to be done to, uh, to solve this kind of uh, discussion here. Yeah. Because I Austin think it- could be right. I would think at the very least you need to define exactly what is a recall. I mean, is it, yeah. is it a formal petition that's actually going to go on the ballot or, again, some guy talking on the street corner? Well, petition language had been approved. There's, there's yeah. that much huh. there. But there's no evidence that the organization that, that filed the language um, has raised any money or collected any signatures at this point. Yeah. Well, there's no issue, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an there's inside no baseball issue. kind of thing, but a fascinating loophole. You, yeah, you, you got to have evidence that some action was taken or something was done, just to have an inert law lay on the table. Well, according to the Whitner, Whitmer's campaign, is is basically saying that they were able to raise unlimited funds. Oh because their potential opponents have the ability to raise unlimited right. funds. Well, there's an issue. There's a real issue. That's, Potential's there. That's stretching right. the interpretation pretty far, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
there has to be more work done to uh, do. Uh, we have to have some kind of investigation to find out where we are in that process. Otherwise, we're just whistling Dixie. Well, the, and that story actually makes this next one um, sound almost tongue-in-cheek. Seven months after Governor Gretchen Whitmer capped how much Michigan taxpayers would pay in criminal defense fees for current or former state employees charged in connection with the Flint water crisis, the spending ceiling has been lifted. The legal team representing former Governor Rick Snyder and a spokesman for the governor's office told M Live, the Flint Journal, that a revised standard contract put forward by the state no longer includes a maximum payout of $175,000 per case for each of nine individuals indicted by a one-man grand jury in January. Has Governor Whitmer adopted a new position on CAPS? (laughs) It's aspirating. Is there no end to the amount of money that's going to go to Governor Snyder? I mean... Oh, that's really exasperating. Hmm. Let's see. Well, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Let's see. What do I have yeah. here? I just one other thought. I wonder was was there any lobbying by the Michigan Trial Lawyers Association on that issue to make sure that they got got in line <laughs> for a good payday? Yeah. I, they're probably busy defending the uh, lawyers in the uh, Flint water crisis settlement yeah. suits. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, here's one. Uh, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Tuesday issued a fresh stop on certain evictions Tuesday, saying that evicting people could be detrimental to public health and would interfere with efforts to slow the pandemic. The new moratorium comes after President Joe Biden and his administration allowed a previous freeze to expire, uh, setting off fury among members of his own party. The new ban applies to areas of the country with high or substantial uh, transmission of COVID-19 and will last until October 3rd, according to the announcement. Does there has c- to be more definition here. Yeah, uh, does the CDC the, have the authority to ban evictions during a health emergency? Well, Apparently so. I, uh, this is another huge debacle. It's a, a, a big sign of Joe Biden's honeymoon being thoroughly over, if there even was one. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about that part, but I find myself asking, how could there have been $40 billion allocated for this and it never got spent? Yeah, well, what's, yeah. What, is, yeah. what strikes me is, is how much money that has been allocated that never was or never has been spent initially, above and beyond any new money. Some of the old money is still in the pipeline, apparently. Yeah, how can, I mean, once again, somebody screwed up on the all-important implementation. I mean, after they had this major victory where they, they you know, they approved all that money in a bipartisan thing early in, in the year, and... It never got to the people who it was for. I mean, oh, that's another another thing. Like, you know, what uh, what happened there? This this problem with evicting with eviction um, has to be better defined than what it is. Now, there are women in single household 
people who have children. And we have to pay some particular attention to that situation. But single people fit in a completely different category. If you put women with their children or older people out on the street, that is inhumane and requires some further discussion. But there are certain types of people that don't need to be covered by this restriction. So, yeah, I think you, you're right there probably, but uh, in, this, in the current situation, uh, everybody's getting hurt across the board. I know, but, but there's only so much money. But even, I mean, a, a very small amount of it went out to even the, the people who, by your criteria, need it and should qualify for it. I, I mean, it's all been jammed up. So Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I hear that at this point, I agree. emergency. The, when you bring that up, we have to look as though government is humane. And first of all, it has to protect children. It has to protect the old people, the vulnerable people first. But, well, it, but it's interesting when you bring that. that up about money still being in the pipeline, it, it almost sounds like, um, and, and debacle is a good word, Jan, uh, a typical government debacle where they've tried to solve the problem twice. They're, they're giving yeah. out money so people can pay their rent, but then they're preventing landlords from kicking people out. So what then becomes the incentive to use the money they get to pay the rent? Yeah, that, 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 True. that is. True. Yeah. And to me, that's a moot point, though, because the bottom line is the money hasn't gotten into their hands anyway. See what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's a fair point. And I, and I wonder if that isn't one of those things where, you know, they decided uh, after they got all their wrangling done that they had money and that they were going to give the money away, but there's no system in place for doling out the money and overseeing how it's spent and reported. Right. And it this comes is the case where the Republicans or Democrats are not discussing this. They seem to be both on the same side of that issue. And uh, that's unusual. Well, I think the key thing is, is, is it's easy to announce a policy or pass a law. It's often more complex to actually carry it out and make sure that you achieve the goals you had when you made the policy or passed the law. And I think that's where the failure comes with, with this issue. Yeah, that is such a good point. I mean, and that comes back to our earlier theme, local situation of, you know, what real leadership looks like. What does real leadership look look like? Uh, it's not just the flashy politics and the headlines that you get for all the outrageous things you might say. It's in the implementation. It's in the making sure the trains run on time and making sure the trash mm -hmm. gets picked up. It's... Uh, you know, doing maintenance on pipes underground that might eventually one day leach lead. I want the voting I'm population surprised. to be able to see results, to be able to see that things are better, you know. Uh, and I think that, that's been the theme of a lot of the conversation today. And, like, and I think it's going to stay the theme a little bit. We have to take a break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about another thing that, and that has this same sort of personality to it about uh, 
you know, we spend the money, but does the work get done? We're going to take a short break and uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. 
And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. Um, and as I uh, mentioned, um, the Senate is gearing up for a fight over amendments to the newly finalized bipartisan infrastructure bill in what could turn into a long and drawn-out process. Uh, ahead of an anticipated final vote. Amendment votes got underway Monday evening. Senators took up and passed two bipartisan amendments that were approved by wide margins. They dealt with funding for Native American health care facilities and addressing the workforce shortage in the wireless and broadband industry, respectively. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called for amendment votes to begin earlier in the day on Monday, saying the longer it takes to finish the bill, the longer we will be here. Schumer said that Democrats will work with Republicans to put together packages of amendments to the roughly $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, but as of Monday morning, they were waiting for the GOP to consent to start the amendment process. In order for amendment votes to be scheduled, all 100 senators need to agree by unanimous consent to have the vote. It looks like we are going to see an infrastructure bill, but how much infrastructure improvement do you expect we'll see? Well, again, the key thing is it's one thing to pass a bill, but how do you deliver the goods? Yeah, but uh, there are bridges and roads and um, and uh, structures, airports and things like that that really do need to be updated. Water pipelines. Uh, go ahead. I just said water pipelines too. Let's oh yes, yes, that and one. the water pipelines. Yes, that, very, very important. And we need to do that. And and uh, I believe I read seventy percent of the economy rests on these being in good repair. So um, we have to do something. And it'll create jobs. It'll stabilize the American population, at least from that perspective. So uh, I believe that once the money is allocated to these uh, various uh, projects, that uh, the country will be headed in the right direction. But right now, it's at a standstill. Well, you know, the parallel is being drawn between this bill and the uh Interstate highway built in the 1950s that created the whole interstate highway system. Sure. And that was a huge boost to the economy. It did a lot of other things, too, but huge boost to the economy. And Republicans do not uh, disagree with this. They, they just think that uh, in some cases we said we're spending too much money and it's going to affect our business to maintain stability in the future. But we have to do yeah. something, and they're in agreement.
Oh, you see, every time you're driving around the roads and the bridges around here, there's no doubt about that. Well, and it just, you know, because of some of the conversations that we've had earlier in the show today, you know, I, I just wonder who's who's going to dole out the uh, the money and, and for what projects and, and who's going to oversee that that gets done. Yeah, and that 2,700 pages, you hope there's some criteria for how it will be evaluated, uh, for um, scrutinizing how it's doled out. And uh, really, I hope that's some of the 2,700 pages that are there. Uh, the, the, the part of the conversation that's missing is a key portion, and that is how much do we raise taxes? And when, and who, what, why, and all of that stuff. It has to do with taxes. You're exactly right, Henry, because, you know, with every single one of these bills we talk about, whether it's in Lansing or Washington, there are two questions that need to be asked. Who cares and how are we going to pay for it? Right. But otherwise, we continue to talk in circles, and uh, we're not hitting the hardcore. We have to lay the tax structure out on the table. We, we bypassed this for many, many years, passing the blame on to Democrats, to Republicans, and Republicans again back to Democrats. Nothing is being discussed. There is no leadership there in the parties that... Uh, it should uh, bring about a proposed solution to the problem. And all of that has to do with taxes. You guys can talk until you're uh, blue in the face, but it's not going to solve, it's not going to lead us to any kind of conclusion. You know, uh, Democrats keep falling into that trap of when the, when the Republicans are in power, they give tax breaks to rich people. And then yeah. the Demo- and it, and it means that there's less, federal money for any of the programs that Democrats would favor. And then when the Democrats get in, they try to do what, you know, bring in their programs, but then they're faced with the problem of raising taxes for rich people. Mm-hmm. And it just goes on and on and on. And, like, it's, it's really hard when the, if, you want the, if you want those federal programs to have to cope with the Republican resistance, the big, you know, resistance to raising taxes on rich people. I, that, that, that trap, it just always come, comes around and around and around. And here we're going to be in that entirely in this whole infrastructure discussion. And the wealth gap continues to grow that eventually yeah. will it does. Uh, yes, it does. break the camel's back that yeah. will cause tremendous destabilization of American government yeah. and institutionally. We have to deal with this soon. I've heard nothing from the squad. And, uh, you know, and... Biden bounces back and forth, but he has not mentioned taxes. Yeah, this is going to cost the American people. He needs to come out and say it's going to cost the American people. He may he have said that in some in He so has many said words. that if raised, it wouldn't be on, uh, you know, on the middle class. It wouldn't be. Yeah. He, that, I mean, but, his position has been yeah, In fact, quite, didn't, he, didn't he set a limit? Uh, he wouldn't tax anybody that was making less than $400,000 a year. Right. But that, that yeah, will that, that still not solve about. the problem. That will not solve this humongous amount of debt that we have to face to set our country back uh, with uh, 
its infrastructure and stuff like that. Uh, but so we have to talk real money, and we got to somehow figure out how to reduce that wealth gap between the rich and the poor, the people in the uh, bottom percentiles. And yeah, I know how you feel about that. it, but your fellow Republicans uh, have made it extremely difficult for that to happen. It but I, I know, but I, I'm, I'm laying it out there for the, I'm taking nobody's side. But this right. is the problem. And I see it. If I see it, there are other people that see it. But they, then they need to, to have the backbone to talk about it. It will probably I mean, get I, beat I, down. In that argument, what often happens is, you know, that, that the conservative or what used to be called the conservative end of the part of your party, would just say, see, we told you we, we don't want federal, we really don't want federal help on these, on these matters because we don't want to do what needs to be done to pay for it. Or these programs are so uh, watered down by the time they get through that when, the, when it is implemented, it doesn't adequately serve the need, you know? And that's because it got drilled down... Uh, through the politics more than it should have. It to me, it's a kind of exasperating cycle of um, politics hurting the hurting once again and and contributing to that wealth gap that you're talking about. Uh, do you have Do you have ideas, Henry, about how it could be handled differently? No, I don't. But I think conversations need to come out and surface. We need to talk about this. Yeah. What's it going to cost us? How do we get the money? When do we start? Right. In what, uh, ways, with, in what ways do rich people... What's the responsibility of rich people yeah. to the country? You know, yeah. the people that have been so benefited in the last few years, even by the pandemic, for gosh sake, um, what, is, what is our position nationally about the responsibility of rich people to the rest of us? And, and they should make taxes cut dramatically in recent decades. I mean, you take a look at the tax rates for higher income rich groups. people really are Republicans. And so we have to attack the, the problem from that perspective, the rich people. And without naming Republicans or Democrats, they're the rich people. And they need to pay a greater share to reduce the wealth gap. That, I mean, they go the over country. the building bridges, too. You know, uh, they, I mean, they may be able to send their kids to private schools where you don't have to worry about all the problems that, like, the Flint Public School District does, but they live in condos in Florida that are collapsing. They go over the bridges. Do they really want their need to have every dollar, every last dollar forgiven on their taxes when the rest of us are having to cope with sinkholes two blocks from where we live? You know, I just, I, I, I feel like, the time is coming if we're talking about wealth inequality where if you have benefited from the so-called American dream and from capitalism, you better be prepared to do your part. It's time. It's way past time. For, and the for, fact is all those corporations do very, very well and they've got good infrastructure to ship their goods around, to have strong Internet connections for all of their sales and everything else. They benefit substantially, just as corporations did with the interstate highway system. They were very much a major beneficiary of that. Absolutely. I mean, individual rich people isn't enough. I, I know I'm, I'm, it might sound I'm being naive on that point, but, yeah, I mean, I'll, how about the corporate thing? My, my problem is I don't know the way things are set up now what their incentive is for them to do what I would consider to be the right thing or is the incentive, um, except that 
their people go over crumbling bridges too. But you know, uh, it seems like we always wait until the worst happens, and then like when we find out that you know ten thousand students were poisoned by lead in the water, um, then we take action. Uh, I don't know. I, I I find it kind of a frustrating moment. Um, it looks like the infrastructure thing is going to go through probably, but um, I hope that the pay for aspect of it is uh, is based on something that would address wealth inequality and the wealth gap and everything. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and the the more uh, Tom has this uh, bring this back again to the show, and we discuss it periodically, it may encourage other people to begin the same kind of discussion and maybe eventually to get to our elected officials or those who are planning to run for government and particularly for the the X generation people who are thinking about all of this. Right, I know. You know, I was talking to my wonderful neighbor across the street last night and um and we were sort of lamenting the way things are and he sort of looked at me and he said you know, you baby boomers, you guys really basically basically that you guys really screwed us over with um I think he was talking about the the not pay for aspect. I think that's kind of what he was talking about, like getting, you know, making all these plans that were either poorly implemented in design or are not being paid for and then and I was like, "Hey, you know, I my my automatic response is, "Hey, it wasn't me. I didn't do it." And he's like, "No, no, I don't mean you, but the baby, you baby boomers have really left us with a mess. Mm. Uh, yeah. uh, he made me think, you know. That's... On the other hand, uh, young people in the X generation will have to understand that people in this generation make plans uh, to do the things to benefit the future as well as to benefit our own generation. Now, some of those are good or bad. For example, consider the infrastructure thing. Uh, it's our young people that's going to benefit by this new infrastructure and stuff like that that has to be done and has yeah. to be done now. Right. I don't think we actually need to send rockets up to space with billions of dollars of private right. money. <laughs> Those are expensive joyrides. Yeah, I mean, that to me is like a classic example of where we're at. It's like billions of dollars for those guys to go up into space. The one kid, the 18-year-old, his father paid $28 million or something like that for him mm-hmm. to be in that. Like, really? So that's a great <laughs> use. Well, I like what yeah. Morris Pearl from Patriotic Millionaires uh, said, and I think it was him that said it. He said, uh, I, I think that we millionaires should be taxed more because I'm greedy. I want to. He says, "I I want to live in a country that has good roads and good schools." Yeah. <laughs> that would be Ross Perot. Yeah. Well, it sounds like Ross Perot, doesn't it? But it was Morris Pearl from oh. uh, Patriotic oh. Millionaires. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, hey, um, let, let's. Uh, I, I want to try and squeeze a couple more things in. Um, Key agencies across the federal government continue to fail to meet basic cybersecurity standards, according to a new Senate report released Tuesday, which found systemic failures to safeguard data amid a rise of state-sponsored hacks and ransomware uh, 
cybersecurity incidents, seven agencies were found to have failed at effectively securing data, the report concluded, resulting in an average grade of C- for the large federal agencies. Only the Department of Homeland Security had an effective cybersecurity program for 2020, according to the report. Every other agency failed to implement an effective cybersecurity program, it said. The shortcomings at the federal agencies compromise national security and can allow cyber criminals to access personal information, concluded the senators who issued the staff report. Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio, and Gary Peters, a Democrat from Michigan, who lead the Senate. Uh, Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. While the average grade of the large federal agency's overall information security maturity was a C minus, the Departments of State, Commerce, Education, Transportation, and Veterans Affairs all scored lower than that with D grades. Mm. Who is best equipped to defense uh, to defend against cyber attacks, the federal government or American business? It has to be both. I'm not sure either one has done a great it job. It has to be both. There's been so a many joint. examples of failures on both sides within the last yeah. last few years. Yeah. Uh, I, I lean a little toward business because it seems like business have not been able to tolerate um, incompetence to the same degree that the federal <laughs> <laughs> Good way to put that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the 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 stand the performance standards might be a little higher. Right. I mean, yeah. if you up in certain businesses or if, if those things happen, you're going to pay a big price. You know, uh, where in the federal government, if you screw up, you have to wait till the next election. I guess, assuming that we let our elections happen without somebody uh, messing with it. <laughs> so that would be my yeah. Uh, but my opposing point of view here is this. I'm amazed at how well the Chinese government and the Russian government can interfere with our technology system, integrate all of our functions here, institutional functions, and to achieve goals that they have set aside for themselves and frustrate uh, the American people. We just have no idea what heck's going on. And yet, they don't talk about their businesses either. They talk about the government. Of course, they have control of that. I think there. this is a new kind of warfare. I mean, it's, 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 it can be just as devastating as a, a military attack. And Absolutely. in some ways, you never quite know who launched it. Right. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if somebody wants to mess with our power grid, which has already kind of happened uh, a little bit, yeah. uh, that can compl- you can bring a country to its knees in an, in an hour, you know, if you, if you know what you're doing. But but uh-huh. the the uh, China and Russia have confounded us. We're at a wit's end of what to do about this. Right. So it has to be both government and business working jointly to solve this problem. Well, let me see if I can squeeze one more in here before we go to break. Nearly 230 Republican members of Congress told the Supreme Court on Thursday that it should overturn Roe v. Wade and release its, quote, vice grip on abortion politics. 
The new brief is the latest filing in a dispute that will be heard next term and represents the most significant abortion-related case the justices have taken up in nearly a half century. The 6-3 conservative court, bolstered by three of former President Donald Trump's appointees, could gut or invalidate court precedent, and that's what the GOP lawmakers are calling for. At issue before the court is a Mississippi law that bars most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. There is no exception for rape or incest. The court will render its decision by next June in the lead-up to the midterm elections. The lawmakers, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, are supporting Mississippi's request to allow the law to go into effect. They are represented by the group Americans United for Life. Is it appropriate for Congress to try to pressure the Supremes? Uh, separation of the powers. We have to be cautious there. And uh, I think that's what you're driving at. Uh, they can do nothing uh, to circumvent separation of authority. But uh, they can try to influence them, but they can't force them. Yeah, so. I mean, they can, they can encourage cases and all that. But And, and you're right, Henry, it does blur that separation of powers issue in some ways. But I think in large part that's it's those kind of statements are are political posturing on the part of the Republican Party because that's been one of their hot button you know wedge issues for years is the abortion issue. Yeah, but you know, and I I want to compare this argument, uh Roe B Wade. We've been at this for years and years and years and it doesn't seem to go away. But stop and think about what has happened to the race problem in the United States. We can talk about it all we want to, but we're getting better all the time. And guess what? It's not legislation that's doing it. It's the American people and the businesses. Things are evolving the way that they ought to. The marketplace is taking care of them and uh, stuff like that. But Roe B. Wade... Somehow government got involved and uh, politicized, and now it's all politicized, and we're back and forth on right and wrong, well, that's, good that's, and bad. Henry, that's why I kind of wanted to stay away from the, the actual debate itself on, uh, on Roe v. Wade and talk about just this. I, I just felt kind of uncomfortable about the ideas, uh, the idea of, of Congress, members of Congress trying to move the Supreme Court in one direction or another. It wouldn't have mattered if it was this or race or money in politics. Um, you know, just this idea that that Congress is putting pressure on the Supreme Court. It, it struck me as odd, and I just wondered how everybody else felt. I, I feel like um, it's a continuation of what's been going on during the Trump years where everything is transactional, kind of, and... Uh, so the the group that's trying to place this pressure on the Supreme Court, in my view, doesn't really care about the separation of powers. The, you know, uh, the this whole idea of separation of powers was drastically compromised Trump years, and those people that that um, enabled the violations of separation of powers for the last four years are still there. Those are some of the same people that voted against certifying. On, Jan- on January 6th. So uh, if you're just simply talking about um, issues of separation of powers, I feel very cynical about it. It's like they don't care. That's, that they don't see that as 
in my view, they don't see that as something to hold on to. This is not a precedent that they any longer respect. But view. that's the bastion on which the the country's uh, uh, political system is based on the I separation know, of powers, and it's got to be part of it's got to be that part of be, that. But it's what? it's gotten really it's really yeah. I, I know what you I know what you mean, but but you know we 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 gotta that's what we believe in. Uh, those people who think that we're here to stay another hundred years uh, yeah. believe that we gotta follow. Uh, principles in the Constitution. All right. I made it almost all the way through without cutting Henry off, and we have to, I'm take, done. A, we, we have to take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. 
where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to Armchair Politics as we roll into the final segment where we look at those weird and wacky stories that I like to call the X-Files. Well, it was supposed to be a somber event, but no one told the British Prime Minister's umbrella. When it comes to dealing with umbrellas, Boris Johnson is all wet. The British Prime Minister proved that Wednesday at the unveiling of a memorial to police officers who have died in the line of duty, according to Reuters. The event, which Prince Charles also attended, was supposed to be somber, but the umbrella Johnson attempted to open during the occasion turned inside out. Prince Charles was quite amused to see the Prime Minister appear to mimic the inept British comic character, Mr. Bean. <laughs> Do you think Prince Charles is a Mr. Bean enthusiast? <laughs> I thought the British were masters of handling umbrellas. That was, <laughs> I thought that was one of their strong suits. Yes. <laughs> Well, the FBI is investigating what one commercial airline pilot said might have been an airborne person with a jetpack high in the busy skies near Los Angeles International Airport. The Los Angeles Times reported that the Boeing 747 pilot radioed to report a possible jetpack man in sight at around 6.12 p.m. Wednesday, according to a recording from the website LiveATC. The pilot spotted an object that might have resembled a jetpack 15 miles east of LAX at 5,000 feet altitude, a Federal Aviation Administration spokesperson told the newspaper. Out of an abundance of caution, air traffic controllers alerted other pilots in the vicinity. Use caution, the jetpack guy is back, said one air traffic alert. Did you see a UFO? One air traffic controller asked a pilot. We were looking, but we did not see Iron Man, the pilot responded. The FBI is working with the FAA to investigate the report. FBI spokesperson Laura A. Miller 
uh, told the uh, Times in an email, the agency has already looked into three other possible jetpack in the skies above Los Angeles and has not been able to validate any of the reports, she said. Could this be Hollywood uh, remaking Rocket Man or filming a new Iron Man sequel or our members or, or our members of the Hells Angels trading their Harleys in for jetpacks? <laughs> Harleys or jetpacks. <laughs> that could be it. Or or one more billionaire trying to reach out of space. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was talking with somebody, I haven't aired the interview yet, but I was talking with some people that uh, work with uh, the Genesis 2 project to uh, investigate the recent verification of uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon. And, and I asked them if they thought that somewhere on a planet far, far away, there were people... Uh, or, or beings, aliens uh, to us, looking through telescopes, and one turns to the other and says, did I just see a Tesla go by? <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Uh. Well, a Missouri woman who claimed a $1 million lottery jackpot in Florida said she never would have bought the ticket if her flight home hadn't been canceled unexpectedly. I had a feeling something bizarre was going to happen after my flight was canceled, she said. I bought a few scratch-off tickets to pass the time, and just like that, I won a million dollars. She scored the top prize on a the fastest road to a million dollar scratch-off ticket purchased from the Publix store in Brandon. The winner visited lottery headquarters in Tallahassee and chose to take her winnings as a one-time lump sum payment of $790,000. Man, do you ever have that kind of luck when when a flight is canceled? <laughs> uh, well, not usually, far. it's the beginning of a whole bunch of things that go wrong. <laughs> That's right. Right. Oh my! Wow. Yeah, that reminds me of that guy that was that lived in the um, condo in Florida that collapsed, and he was at his girlfriend's house and. She said, uh, you know, spend the night with me. And he's like, no, 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 I want to go home. And she says, no, no, stay. And it, he reluctantly decided to stay, and then the, his place collapsed. Oh. Remember That's that story? story? Yeah. yeah. You know, so, I've, hmm. I've heard of dodging a bullet, but dodging a building is... I know. I know. Mm. We don't know what our fate is, do we? Boy, it's unpredictable. Well, here's one. A ghost hunter in Buffalo, New York, reportedly fell 15 to 20 feet during a paranormal investigation inside one of the city's landmark buildings. According to the Buffalo News, the unnamed 35-year-old woman was searching for ghosts in the nearly century-old Central Terminal building on Saturday when she plunged through a substation roof. She was taken to a local hospital and treated for multiple injuries, uh, the newspaper reported. Her current condition is not known. A man hunting ghosts with her was not injured. Local NBC station WGRZ reported that the pair was ghost hunting without permission in the historic structure, but no charges have been filed. Mm. Do you need permission to hunt ghosts? And if so, who are you going to call? <laughs> the ghost detective. <laughs> there must be some government agency that covers that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, do you ask the ghosts? I, I don't know. Um, 
No, who would you get permission from? I, I suppose maybe the, the city if they own the building or the building owner? The historical society, of course. They know more about that. Than Could be, yeah, yeah. Well, mm. and they might even be able to tell you which ghosts to look for. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's probably try, like trying to get through to Comcast or something, you know. It's, it's <laughs> trying to get a ghost to respond. Yeah, talk about ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that wraps it up for uh, the X-Files and, uh, and really for armchair politics. And, of course, I want to say thank you to uh, our panel of political pundits, as always, um, Paul Rosicki and... Uh, Henry Hatter, thanks, guys, and Jan. Always good Nelson. to be here. <laughs> Jan, it's always a, a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoy it, too. And I can't Tom. believe how fast the time goes. we got about two and a half minutes left if anybody has any final thoughts. Can I do my weekly uh, salute? Today I, I salute black American activists and, and advertisement who uh, support uh, the, um, the flag, the national anthem, and the United States Armed Forces um, without uh, prejudice. And uh, that is so good to see uh, in contrast to what you've seen in the past and due to the, the, the reaction of the country and these matters that, that uh, tear us apart. And also I want to salute our athletes in the Olympics. Thank you. Any other final thoughts? Uh, just, uh, just my thought in terms of the city council is the fact that uh, none of the incumbents want a, a 50% or more. So I wonder whether or not they'll face a more serious challenge in November when you assume, I suspect somewhat correctly, that all the other votes were kind of an anti-incumbent votes. But we'll see what happens. Well, the, uh, I think that yeah. if, Go that ahead. if you think it doesn't count... You could vote in a special election in Flint because, you know, we're talking about like fewer than a hundred people are what makes exactly. a difference in a lot of these. So you yeah. can really make a difference with your vote if you well, want to play off of the lamentable turnout. There's a, an element that's going to happen in the general election that I think is going to be interesting to um, to watch. There are five write-in candidates in different Ooh. wards. And, and some are fairly well organized. It's going to be interesting to see if that's a factor at all, especially yeah. in, you know, Eric Mays's ward and um, uh, uh, who's in the ninth, uh, Eva Worthing, where they started out running mm -hmm. unopposed. Should be interesting. Yeah, well, but tough that, campaigns <clears throat> to pull off, but uh, but as I say, at least a few of them sound like they've got some real organization behind them and. Who knows? They might they might uh, surprise somebody. Most write-in voters uh, uh, face a, a challenge because most people have decided who they're going to vote for in the final segment. Well, thanks uh, thanks all for uh, participating as always, and uh, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. you Good night. And that's Smokin' George Winters tickling the ivories, uh, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So until then, uh, have a great day, and good night, everybody.
Insomnia Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.